0: Uh, this morning, we're going to kick off a series, something I've been wanting to do for really a, a while now. I've been looking for it. I'll be honest with you, have been kind of chomping at the bit to get to this morning. and we're going to expose the work of the enemy this morning, and really more than anything, expose the defeat of the enemy and how Christmas is a great message of victory as we look at the first Christmas story, going all the way back To Genesis. Or put it this way, the first, there's only one Christmas story, the first telling of the Christmas story. So think about that first time you heard the Christmas message. Let's go back to the first time the first family heard the Christmas message. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 315. Let's stand and look at two verses this morning, verses 14 and 15. And it might surprise you to see that the first mention of Christmas is in the context of a curse. In the context of a curse. So verse 14 it says, The Lord said to the serpent, you know the back story, Adam and Eve, the fall, they had taken up the fruit, they were going to be kicked out of the garden, the rest of the story of Scripture is going to be the redemption of mankind, and here comes the curse on the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat the dust all the days Of your life. I will put hostility or enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and, here it is, here's the Christmas message, right? Her seed. What's that all about? We'll get there in just a moment. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Father, we thank you for this promise of victory in the midst of suffering, of celebration because of a curse, of redemption from the very beginning of man's needing to be restored to you. And Lord, I pray that it would be very liberating and victorious for someone to not only hear it, but to believe it and to live it this morning and this day. And Lord, we'll give you the glory for how you work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want so badly for the enemy's works to be revealed and his defeat to be made known. Uh, that I would encourage those who are watching online to go ahead and share this message. Those of you in here, if you happen to uh, have a a smartphone available, if you want to uh, go to our Facebook page and share this. Now, there was a time that I might have been a little bit hesitant. Now, I know sometimes we talk about in sports, not wanting to give the other team, the enemy, right, the opponent, we don't like to give them bulletin board material. And when you hear people talk about that, if you've watched sports and you've always wondered, uh, what are they talking about bulletin board material? It's where you don't want to say anything that it might give the opposition a quote to put on the bulletin board in the locker room to make you the target of their wrath and their revenge. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes in trying to avoid giving the enemy bulletin board material, we do not claim the victory that has already been won. See, here's the thing we need to quit trying to figure out how we're going to defeat the devil and realize that he's already defeated. He is a defeated foe. We've got to begin to embrace the victory that we have in Christ. Now, you can still be on dangerous ground if you try to fight him in the flesh, but we're going to demonstrate this morning that because of Christmas, the devil himself is already a defeated foe, and it's the advent of Christ. Christmas that includes Easter within the story, all right here in the curse. Can you think back to your earliest remembrance of Christmas now? First time you heard the Christmas story, what was the setting? Maybe not the first time you heard the Christmas story, maybe the first time you remember hearing. Some of us can remember a lot more than others of us, right? Uh, Somebody told me one time there were two things that will go after you turn 50 years of age. Uh, One is your memory. I can't remember what the other one was, but anyway, there's a couple of things that go after you turn 50, right? But you can remember maybe an early occasion hearing that. Maybe it was by a fireplace in your house with your family, maybe. And I'm not talking about Santa and Rudolph. I'm talking about the story of the nativity, right? That Christ was born in Bethlehem of Mary and Joseph and the baby. Uh, maybe it was a bedtime story, maybe it was in a Sunday school class, a sermon, maybe it was, I'm, I'm just curious to know, for how many of you, you've got a memory all the way back in maybe first grade, and the Bible lady came to your school, used the felt board, and told the story of Christmas. Just by a show of hands, how many of you know what I'm talking about? I am so glad that I'm not the only one. A number of you remember that, for me, it was Danielsville Elementary School, but the Bible lady came, used a felt board, told the Christmas story, and we just sat there going, wow, that she told the story in a way that was so awesome. I wish to God Maybe we need to pray for such a great revival that a a, a new Bible lady gets to come and use a felt board, right? Kids are going, what is a felt board? Um, That was all the PowerPoint we had back in the day. And so hear the message of Christmas again in our our school. I mean, the real message of Christmas in our schools. um, But certainly it should be in your home. But the first family, Adam and Eve, needed to hear the Christmas message. People will ask, how were people saved in the Old Testament if Christ had not come and lived and died? Well, we know they by grace, through faith in Christ alone. Well, according to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, Old Testament saints were saved by grace through faith in Christ. What Christ? The message that they had concerning Christ that would come, looking forward to the birth, life, death of Christ with all the information they were given in the Old Testament. Abraham, the Bible says, believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He was saved by grace through faith in Christ, even in the Old Testament. That means there had to be some uh, sense of gospel. And so we have that right here in this passage. We don't often think of a snake in a garden. Uh, As far as I know at this nativity scene and at the ones in my home and in your home, we have not placed a snake in the nativity. Maybe we should to be reminded that there is a defeated foe connected with the very first mention of Christmas. And so the text that we read a moment ago, especially verse 15, is referred to by Bible scholars as the proto Now oh, You're going, what? Uh, what? What does that mean? It's Greek, proto, first, euangelion, Greek word for gospel, good news, the first gospel was right here in Genesis chapter 3:15. There was some word of the gospel of Jesus Christ of Christmas and the cross and we'll see both in this passage as we kind of break it down a little bit this morning. So first, let's start off by looking at the snake. We'll call him the scheming serpent, the scheming serpent. The first telling of the Christmas story is in the context of the curse of this serpent. Yes, there was a curse on the woman in verse 16. You can read about how Eve was under a curse for taking up the fruit. Also, Adam, men, you might need to know that uh, God held him responsible for being passive and irresponsible. He was given the word of God to lead with before he was even given a woman to love. Timothy later, the woman was deceived. And you're thinking, ha-ha, see, she's not all there. Now, Adam wasn't deceived. He had the Word of God, and he was in her presence. He was in the presence of the serpent, and he rebelled. And it's Adam's rebellion that our fallenness is traced back to, not Eve's deception. It's interesting that all died in the first Adam, not in the first Eve. And so we go back to Adam's rebellion, not Eve's deception. But in Adam, all, we have to all be made... Alive again. And so Eve is cursed. Adam is then cursed in verses 17 through 19. The earth, the ground is cursed, and he's got it's by the sweat of the brow. There's thorns and thistles. It's going to be uh, rough going from here on out because we live in a sin and sin cursed world that Romans 8 says even this planet is crying out for redemption. But there is a curse that's worse than all of that because there's a plan of redemption for this planet. There's a plan for a new heaven and a new earth. There's a plan of redemption for you and for me in that through Jesus Christ, we can be made right again. But the curse on the devil was different than any other curse and specifically seen, applied to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, verse 14, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, that's any of the... Uh, domesticated animals, your translation may say cattle, and more than any wild animals, any of those that were undomesticated animals, and you will move on your belly and eat the dust all the days of your life. The serpent was a literal animal. Now, I don't know what the animal looked like before the curse. Maybe it looked like a lizard, which to me is a snake with legs on it. I don't know. Maybe it was bigger than that. Maybe it, it it looked like a small dragon. Maybe it was appealing. I don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us everything that this serpent looked like. We just know that as a result, the serpent and would now crawl about on its belly and eat the dust all the days of its life. Now, I believe that there's a couple things going on here. First of all, this literal physical serpent was possessed or it was by the devil, or was the devil in serpent form, but for you and for me, the serpent as a species would be cursed so we could be reminded that the devil is a defeated foe who would have to the dust all the days of his life. How do we know that this was the devil himself? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 says, so the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent... The New Testament makes it clear that the Old Testament serpent was the devil himself who is called the devil and Satan. The word means adversary. You have an enemy. Roman, I mean, uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. You have an enemy who seeks to devour you, to destroy you. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The one who deceives the whole world. All of these words that are used for the devil, the deceiver, Satan, the devil, the serpent, the great dragon. He's defeated. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. And he fell through pride, through self-worship. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 14, personified as Lucifer, son of the morning. He's kicked out of heaven. He deceives a third of the angels who follow him that are now the demonic realm. So we know there are two of God's heavenly angels for every demon that's on the face of the planet, or in the spiritual realm that we do battle with, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We know that those are the defeated foes of God, and Satan himself, the devil himself, is now a cast-out, defeated foe. But the devil himself would come to tempt Adam and Eve and would get them to kind of uh, rationalize. He would appeal to those same things that led to his fall, to pride and put a big question mark on God's word. Listen, the way the devil still works today is he will come to you and to me and he'll say, did God really say? Didn't he do that verse one, the first thing he said, did God really say? And so there will be people in your workplace and in your school, voice of the devil in your life and say, oh, but that's not true. And so he comes back again later in this text in verse six. You trust to say that's not what God said, you will not surely die. And so, He brings about temptation, He brings about rebellion, He brings about perversion of God's standards. And we're seeing that today like never before. Did God really say that that's what marriage is all about? Did God really say that a marriage should be between a man and a woman? Did God really say that? Uh, that abortion is wrong? Did God really say that? Does the Bible really teach? Listen, there are people running for election still in this nation who claim to have said God didn't really say what he clearly said. And we need to be very careful of someone who claims to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and puts a question mark on the very word of God. So careful of that. This scheming serpent will put a question mark on all God says and we worry about all the the conspiracies and we'll watch video after video after video of conspiracy theories rather than get into the Word of God which tells us the conspirator beyond all conspiracies and the one who has defeated him. And we're going to see how it affects him ultimately and eternally. Even next week, when we get into this, the entire species is cursed here and told he would bite or lick. Listen, I know when I use that phrase, bite the dust, some of you are thinking of a song by Queen right now, right? Another one bites the dust. And that's what people try to sing. And there's been all kinds of people trying to Others get caught up in the fact that it says backwards, I want to smoke marijuana. But the, the fact that it forward, it's talking about some pretty bad stuff is enough to make us say, what in the world is Queen talking about? It's not just talking about uh, the opponents of your enemy. Actually, and by the way, others have traced it all the way back to the Chicago mob. And every time they were taking somebody out, it was another one that would bite the dust. But the phrase was an ancient Hebrew phrase that meant total defeat. To be face in the dust meant total and ultimate defeat. And so the serpent would illustrate that for us. Now, this is not a snake handling church, by the way. Unless God tells us to handle a snake, I guess. But, But I'll pick up a fake one. That's about all you'll see me picking up. This one actually belongs to Titus Smith, and the reason I asked him to bring me one was because, and he had a bigger one than this that was black at one time that looked so real, and he wanted to play a trick. I really believe the trick was supposed to be on Pastor Jeff, or I think maybe one of the students in the high school Bible class back a few years ago, but he brought it, and he just had it kind of woven around in the men's room. (laughs) Little did he know Pastor Robbie was going to be the next one in there. And so I walk in there, and the snake looks so real. I mean, I literally jumped. I was glad I was in the men's room at this time. But I saw that snake, and I jumped. I said, whoa, there's a snake. How in the world? Man, that's not real. It looks looks real. And I'll tell you, when I'm about to step on a snake or something, those things, somebody's going to tell me. Well, don't stomp on it or anything because that might be a king snake. That might be a rat snake. It's going to keep the mice away from your house. Don't. And I'm like, I don't really care what it is. And it scares me when I see a snake. And some of you are that for some of you just seeing a fake snake. And by the way, I cut a little piece of fishing line off of this. So I know he used it to scare his sisters, right? And so that's a, a curse. This snake reminds us that the devil has been cursed, that he's going to crawl around and eat dust, but yet we still jump. We still jump in fear. How many of us know that when you kill a snake, often that thing moves for a little while? And that if it bites you, it might can still get rid of some venom, even just by a muscular reflex after it's dead. And so the devil is already a defeated foe. He's wiggling around because he has, the Bible says he knows his days are numbered. His time is limited. And we've got to learn that he is a scheming serpent. And every time we see a snake, be reminded the fact that he's crawling on his belly is a reminder that Christmas defeated the first enemy, especially when you understand Christmas in the context of Easter and the rest of this text. So let's go to that Proto-Evangelion, that first gospel. Verse 50 this morning, I want you to see not just a scheming serpent, but see that from the very beginning, there was a seed of Redemption. A seed of redemption, God always had a plan. Jesus was the Lamb of God, crucified before the foundation of the world, meaning before God created this planet and people with a free will and the angels themselves. He owns the devil himself. Don't let the Mormon church or anybody else convince you that that Lucifer and Jesus were some spirit brothers on the same level. They're not. God owns him and will put him in his place ultimately and eternally. Here's the seed of redemption. He says, I'm going to place this seed, verse 15, in a woman. The the seed of a woman. What's that all about? Specifically, her seed. That doesn't make sense. And some will use the word offspring here to try to help us understand what he's referring to. But the Hebrew word zerah means offspring. Seed. It's used agriculturally to describe seed. It's used biologically to describe the seed of the man that he would contribute biologically in the conceiving process. And so there's a theological prophecy here of the virgin birth and the fact that Adam's bloodline that's passed through the seed to the next generation, to the next generation. Listen, I know that it's also theologically, supernaturally passed just by the fact that we're born. We're born sinners by nature and by choice. But there had to be one born who was not born of the seed of man. who was born miraculously. And this is a reference to that prophecy. Yes, in the family line, the seed of Abraham. Yes, descending from the throne of David. But more importantly, the seed of a woman that Isaiah chapter 7 and 14 would come and say, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? The name means God with us. Seed of a woman who is born of a virgin would be God himself with mankind. A miraculous birth. Sometimes people refer to the uh, Immaculate Conception. You know, some football fans are going, I remember the Immaculate Reception, right? But the Immaculate Conception Sometimes it refers to the fact that people believe that Mary herself was sinless. Listen, the miracle of Christmas was not that Mary was sinless, but that a sinless God, by His Holy Spirit, allowed this human being to conceive of a sinless man, the God-man god man Jesus Christ. And so when you take away the virgin birth, when you say, oh, but we don't really have to believe in the miracle of the virgin birth, you take away the theology that says Jesus was the perfect, sinless Son of God. Luke 1.35, the angel answered Mary, wondering how all this is going to take place, and he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And John's gospel would explain that he's not only the Son of God, he is God the Son. Matthew 1, 18 and 23 explained that before Mary and Joseph came together, she was found to be with a child, fulfilling Isaiah 7, 14 prophecy that a virgin would conceive of the Holy Spirit, now the seed of a woman, not the seed of a man, because the Holy Spirit has placed this seed supernaturally in a woman named Mary. Only man owed for sin. So we had a problem. God doesn't owe the price for sin, yet he would pay the price for sin, right? We know the song, I owed a debt, I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. But justice, righteousness, holiness would demand that man would pay the price. And so if only God could pay it and only man owed it, there had to be someone who was the God-man, not half God and half fully man, the supernatural uh, coming of Christ as man, miraculously placed in woman, the seed of a woman by the Holy Spirit, this conception would lead to the place where there would be one, only one qualified to pay for the sins of the world. Had to be the God-man. I love the, the Way that at Christmas time people will look at an nativity like this and they will be reminded of the poem, "Mary had a little lamb." Right, that's cool. And I'll see the light bulb come on with kids sometimes, and they'll hear that poem. At Christmas time, they say, "Hey, Mary did have a little lamb." Jesus was the lamb of God, and so this inspired a revision of the poem that I would like to share with you this morning. Marvin Marbeth Rosenthal wrote this. Says Mary had a little lamb who lived before his birth. Self-existent Son of God, from heaven he came to earth. Mary had the little lamb, see him in yonder stall. Virgin-born Son of God, to save man from the fall. Mary had the little lamb, obedient Son of God. Everywhere the Father led, his feet were sure to trod. Mary had the little lamb, crucified on the tree. The rejected Son of God, he died to set men free. Mary had the little lamb. Men placed him in a grave, thinking they were done with him. But to death he was no slave. Mary had the little lamb. Ascended, now he is. All work on earth completed. Our advocate to be. Mary had the little lamb. Mystery to behold. But from the lamb of Calvary, a lion will unfold. And when... The day star comes again. Of this, be very sure. It won't be lamb like silence, but with a lion's roar. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords one day. Mary had a little lamb that would be the Savior of the world. And so, where did that culminate? Yes, the seed of a woman is the story. It was all that they could understand at the end of the Christmas story. It was all but they had to also believe the rest of the story because the manger was always in the shadow of a cross. And that's the bigger picture that I want you to see, that there was a war going on in the cosmos that is beyond anything we can ever get our arms and our minds around completely. So we see finally this morning the suffering blow. The suffering blow where the seed and the serpent come together. The story is not complete without Easter, but it talks about this striking or this bruising. In verse 15, enmity between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Strike may not be the best word. Some translations say bruise, but in the Hebrew, it meant something would fall and crush, a crushing fall was coming upon the head of the serpent. It was as if, hey, he's going to strike your heel or bruise your heel because that would be a very painful thing. That would be a very suffering thing to experience, but it wouldn't be a final thing. You can recover from that. But when the head is crushed, he's going to crush your head. When your head is crushed, you're not going to be able to recover from this. And so it pictured Jesus on the cross being bruised and broken for us. And though he would be dead for three days, he would rise again to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. And in that, Satan would be crushed under the feet of Jesus. And we need to rejoice in that. We need to celebrate that. We need to be reminded of all that that means. I love the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And a lot of people who have seen it have seen that, you know, in the end, it's almost impossible to watch the crucifixion scene because they interviewed so many Bible scholars and said, we want to get this right like it happened, just like Roman crucifixion happened. But there's a scene before you get to the cross. There's a scene before you get to the 39 lashes again. Hey, watch it this Christmas if you can. But there's a scene before all of that that causes me to understand that the producers of this movie, Mel Gibson and whoever came up with this scene, were giving us a picture, a picture of a creepy-looking satanic figure representing the devil, and then being pictured, animated in the life of a serpent. And then Genesis 3.15 is made real before you get to the gory scenes of the cross. And we can show that scene. I think it will be an encouragement to you this morning. Him, Him, He And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head, he will crush you, and you will strike his heel. It's a great picture, great reminder. Remember Isaiah said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Messiah would be born of a virgin. Listen to these words in Isaiah 53. Try reading this at Christmas and Easter. Who has believed what we have heard? Or who has believed our report? And who has the, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Seems to picture the virgin birth, does it? Not like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or splendor that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering. His heel would be bruised. His life and body would be broken. Who knew what sickness was? He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. Why? Because he was becoming sin for us on the cross. He was pierced. Because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was upon him by his wounds. All we like sheep have turned to our own way. The Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Some of you today are letting the devil keep you from Christ and some of you are letting this defeated foe, even though you are in Christ, keep you from walking in victory. This serpent whose head has been stomped but is still wiggling, knowing his days are number, who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, is keeping some of you caught up in addiction. Fear, frustration, anger, doubt, destroying your family, destroying your peace, robbing you of your joy, and keeping you in bondage to sinful habits. Listen, this morning I don't have to worry about giving the enemy bulletin board material if I mean business with God, because if I mean business with God, then His victory over the devil has already been applied to me and I get to choose whether or not I'm going to walk in that victory today. And I believe in Christmas. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the sinless life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he died in my place. In the same faith. Think about this. Romans 16. Romans 16. The book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's dissertation on salvation, sanctification, life in the Spirit. What does it all The book of Romans, and, and you discover that man, he died on the cross in my place. He rose again, and the same Spirit that raised Christ now lives in me and gives me victory over the enemy. And then he concludes in chapter 16 and verse 20. Now, the children could sing this for you this morning because we do it so often at camp. Romans 16 and verse 20 says, The God of peace will quickly crush Satan underneath your feet. Not just underneath the feet of Jesus. Yes, he's been crushed under the devil's, I mean, under Jesus' feet. The devil has been crushed under the feet of Christ. But when we walk with Jesus, full of his Holy Spirit, by faith, believing in what he's accomplished, guess what he's allowing us to do? He's saying here, Come and trample on this defeated serpent. I will crush him. Hey, listen, we don't do it in our flesh. We can't do it in our flesh. But he says, I, the Lord says, I will crush him underneath your feet. So you get in on walking over the devil himself. There's nothing he can do about it because greater is he that is in you and in me than he that is in the world. That, that is the bigger picture of Christmas, that the seed of a woman, a virgin born Messiah would crush the head of the serpent. Why do we walk in such defeat, fear, doubt, anger? Why do we get caught up? Listen, I'm going to get into this in the new year because I feel like I need to address the fact that there's so many conspiracy theories and people are like, do you believe in conspiracy theories? Well, I believe there are evil people who conspire. So yeah, I do. Do I believe all of them are true? A lot of them are just a bunch of hogwash that people are made in, but there might be some true stuff. But listen, we get caught up in trying to figure this one out and that one out and this one out. Is this true? Is that true? And we watch video after video after video when we have the ability as believers to look through and beyond all theories to the truth to see and expose the real conspirator, the devil himself, and we have clear direction in Scripture on how to defeat him so that no matter what these people in between are doing, we're already on top of it, and he is underneath our feet. Why do we live in so much fear, frustration, doubt, anger, and hostility? Look beyond all the conspiracy theories to the revelation of God, the true meaning of Christmas, and what he's already done, and what he wants to do today in and through you. Would you bow your heads with me?